Welcome to Slumpbuster Sam for another episode of the Slumpbuster Podcast. I am your host, Juju Talk Sports, and on today's episode, Kyle Ludbert and I go through the NBA Christmas Day schedule, go through the NFL Week 16 schedule, talked about two and on and Anthony Davis, but before we do that, folks, I need you to hit like, comment, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and most importantly, sit down, bust a slump, and enjoy the episode. Welcome in Slump Busters and welcome to the official podcast brought to you by Tuanon. Yes, Tuanon to our Lord and Savior, Tua Tunga Vailoa. <laughs> yes. Happy Christmas to all and to all a happy Tua season. Let's go. <laughs> oh, that was that was that was difficult to listen to you trying to pronounce his last name on the second one. Tunga, that was, yeah, I, I tried to just squeeze that one in. You like got halfway through and then just ejected on it, like tug of Loa. I'm starting to think I got that dad gene coming in where I purposely mispronounced names like Pokemon versus Pokemon. Like, dad, come on, it's Pokemon. Pokemon, yeah, that they're all Pikachu. Charger. Pikachu. Do you think you can get the the quarterback for Clemson? Do you think you? can get his name i have moments in which i nail it but then i kind of like it depends on it these pacific islander names can vary on me dj you yeah pretty much it my thing is i gotta slow down on them if i try and like just kind of speed rush by it like i got it on the first one like you said tunga vailoa but as i kind of like tunga vailoa it's kind of like yeah. Jim Carrey in uh, Liar Liar, where I'm just kind of like just rambling. Specifically, Pacific Islander. I would say also Czechoslovakian. Those ones also kind of fuck with me. That's totally fair. Uh, there's one guy for the, uh, I think he's on the Heat now, or maybe he, he signed somewhere else, but he got traded to the Heat last year. Oh no, he's on the Warriors, and his name is Nemaja Bajelica uh, in the NBA. It's B-J-E-L-I-C-A. Very difficult for people to get there, but yeah, Eastern European is difficult Russian, there. yeah. Uh, Khabib. I don't even try. I, I've tried Khabib Normanomagov. Yeah, see, I have to that. really kind of slow down. I don't down think that's on how it is. I, I, Nurmagomedov, I've heard it. There, there's a lot of people I've seen just kind of like throw their best pronunciation at it. Yeah, that one I don't even feel comfortable trying to do because I've only seen his name. Nurmagomedov, I think, is kind of like the official. That's probably the best I've actually ever pronounced it, to be honest. Well, uh, after derailing the podcast a bit, yeah, to and on. Glad that you're bringing this up now because uh, you've got your cult with the Miami Dolphins. We're, we're going to need you to start singing the Dolphins theme song before this podcast is over because uh, they have a fun 1970s theme song that is uh, remade by T-Pain in 2008 that we play on the podcast all the time. We're going to need you to sing the Dolphins fight song at some point. I think the important thing here is specifically for the YouTube censors here, we are saying to and on, to and on. Very important distinction in here as the almighty algorithm looks down on this podcast. We're talking about two Anon. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about two Anon and the six consecutive win Miami Dolphins going up against the team I've been saying all along was going to make the playoffs, the New Orleans Saints. They came in there and beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday night football. I think I got your call here. The Lumasanti. There we go. The Lumasanti versus the two Anon. There we go. Because Mickey Loomis is the GM. I get what you did there. Yeah, a roll on with uh, the Houdat Nation down there in New Orleans because uh, please make the playoffs so we don't have to watch why. Washington or Philadelphia. I don't want to watch Taysom Hill. At least Alvin Kamara is more fun than watching. I'd rather Washington. watch the Eagles. The Eagle. Uh... 
the out Eagles, of the playoff teams, I would rather watch the Eagles. Actually, the, who I'd really want, if we're talking about who we want, who we can justify for the seventh seed, I would say the Vikings would probably be the best roster out of the mix to make it. I'd rather Vikings see Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, even Adam Thielen. That offense alone is going to be more enjoyable watch than as you mentioned Washington as you mentioned the Eagles and as I'm mentioning I don't like watching the Saints part of the thing that we've gone back and forth with you saying the Saints are a playoff team they were not supposed to beat the Buccaneers actually I picked them in that first matchup against the Bucs but they were not supposed to sweep the Buccaneers more specifically not this way not shutting out Tom Brady for the first time at home in his NFL career not shutting him out for the first time since 2006 that was not supposed to happen. Chris Godwin out with the ACL. Mike Evans banged up. Leonard Fournette banged up. Absolute disaster situation happened in Tampa. I guess at this point, we're already into the weeds here. Monday Night Football game preview. Miami Dolphins, Norwood Saints. <laughs> talking about two seven and seven teams. We'll kind of revisit. We'll kind of bounce around subjects here. But let's just get into this one since we're already talking it. Out of these teams, you're on the side. The Saints are the most likely to make the playoffs. And the Saints get lucky because they are in this bottomless hell of the seventh seed that is the NFC as it currently stands here today. Whereas the Dolphins still have a little bit of work to do. The Dolphins have to win out. The Dolphins put themselves in one of the deepest holes that they could possibly imagine. And to their credit, they are the first team to ever turn a seven game losing streak into a six game winning streak. Incredible mark by Brian Flores. Uh, at this point, Tua has better QBRs in the last stretch of games than even Jimmy Garoppolo or Mac Jones for comparison standpoint. So even Tua, though I don't think he's elite sorry to a non-supporters he has made significant strides they even did this last game without Jalen Waddle they should have not been that close in that game against the Jets we talk about dumb picks a lot on this show we talk about bare booty ass cheek type performances that's what that one was that pick six against the Jets it did not need to happen and that I guess that's still part of the learning curve but I'm sure if you're Brian Flores you come from the Bill Belichick coaching tree you were just cringing you were furious internally seeing that one there because the best way to win a game is to not lose a game and to almost lost in that game with that one. Yeah, this is kind of the weird part for Miami is like we kind of know that they've played an easy schedule and we know that their offense still has holes in it. But even still, Miami's been super interesting to watch for the past few weeks. Obviously, we've talked about this on past podcasts now is that it's really hard to figure out who Tua Tagovailoa is as a quarterback, even though we've now watched him for a full season's worth of games, plus, you know, a couple more at this point. But we know Tua is a very accurate quarterback. They don't really open up the offense very much for him uh the Miami Dolphins strength is in their defense as we saw against the New York Jets like the Jets scored 10 points really quickly and then couldn't really score the rest of the game apart from a pick six from Tua and an interception that set up another touchdown so only when the offense gave the Jets opportunities could the Jets really score against the Dolphins not that that's like a huge bar to hit for a defense is preventing the Jets from scoring because it's not been a great year for the Jets but Miami's not gonna make the playoffs I've been saying this for a while but it's still a really fun story to watch it play out because Miami winning six games in a row puts Miami in a position where they're like maybe we with hitting on enough draft picks and maybe getting a couple players here and there we too can take the next leap into a wild card spot in the AFC and they've traded two first round picks to get Jalen Waddle they used a lot of cap space even though they have more these are bigger picture questions for them 
going into this game, I'm just going to, you know, bury myself in my corner and pick the uh, New Orleans Saints, of course, because I can't go against the boys at this point. And I imagine Juju's going to go all the way in on his Miami Dolphins because not like I don't like the Miami Dolphins. I'm the person who's like pissing on the expectations that they're going to make the playoffs. It's a fun story. It's a fun story (laughs) in the meantime. It is. And what I'll say here is I think their playoff chances legitimately died with the Colts beating the Patriots on Saturday. I think their best shot was the Colts losing that game, losing the Cardinals game, and then falling through with the expectations of beating their last two opponents. They're the winnable opponents. But you are correct. I will pick those Miami Dolphins here. And I don't know their fight song, but I'm sure we'll learn it later. We'll be able to drink the Miami Dolphins Kool-Aid on this one here. Um, Led by their backfield of Duke Johnson. Fun fact I found out in doing a little research about this one, Duke Johnson back from the dead. Did you know that Duke... Duke Johnson is the all-time Miami Hurricanes rushing leader, as well as their all-time single-season rushing leader. So him actually having that successful <laughs> game last week where he's the number one fantasy back for the Miami Dolphins was a nice little homecoming moment. Also shows you just how bad the Jets rushing defense is. If you bet against the Jets rushing defense, you're probably going to win 10 times out of 10, 11 times out of 10. Check that 12 times out of 10 because they are just that significantly bad. What I'm going to say, how the Dolphins are going to get there. They're going to get there with a big man touchdown. I'm saying it again, Christian Wilkins. Give me that warm touchdown celebration that everyone's <laughs> talking about, huh? huh? Give, me, give me a little bit of that. It's hard to really buy into when it comes to the New Orleans Saints. They won. Yeah, their defense was amazing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But that offense just... What Taysom Hill is just so non-exciting. And I think Brian Flores and the Dolphins could do a great job at containing that New Orleans Saints offense. Did you realize that Marcus Callaway was their first wide receiver slash tight end with a hundred yard performance this season? I'm aware because I drafted him in fantasy football and he's been sitting on my bench the entire season. Like I didn't drop him. I didn't add anyone. Like he just was sitting there the whole year, just putting up 4.8 points a game every single week. And then he finally had one big week this week to help me get into the playoffs, except he didn't help me get in the playoffs because he's been on my bench the entire season. Bottom line, the Saints just aren't explosive enough. If you're telling me they're that talent depleted at wide receiver, them not having Michael Thomas this season was definitely uh, one of the biggest hits to their offense. At least having that guy, whatever you think of Michael Thomas as a possession receiver, I would still love just having him on the field. If he's running slants all day, cool. It's better than just having this quartet of Marquez Callaway. What is it? It's Deontay not like Harris. Michael Thomas still isn't one of the 10 best wide receivers in the NFL. Exactly. Even if his skill set is one thing, if you do that thing exceptionally well to the level that Michael Thomas does it, it is game changing for an offense. They wish they had someone that just did anything well. Clearly, Especially when you build an offense like Sean Payton has for 15 years that's predicated on extreme accuracy. If it's yeah. an offense that values pinpoint accuracy more than anything else, it's going to make your offense so much better to have a short yardage wide receiver that can get reception after reception after reception. And now this is the second year in a row that Michael Thomas has been injured. 
injured. I know he played through last season with a torn MCL and a broken leg, and he still played through it last year and probably going to ruin his career a good bit. But the Saints are, are about where we thought the Saints would be, which is fighting it out to try and make it into the playoffs. If you had predicted at the start of the season where the Saints were going to be, this is about where people thought the Saints were going to be at this time. And I still think they're good enough to make the playoffs. And uh, I, I've been calling them the Saints, but we have a we have a new rule on the Take It Easy podcast, which is they are the New Orleans Camaras for the rest of time here. Is that for the next three weeks, I know you shouldn't use running backs the way that we give them 35 carries and destroy their legs in their mid-20s, but just give the ball to Camara. Just to say the entire offense is going to be the Belichick offense of 40 run plays. Give them all to Camara and a couple to Mark Ingram here and there. Just just run the ball over and over and over again because Alvin Camara is still one of the five best running backs in the NFL. The fun way it's working out for the Saints is if they do end up in that seven seed, of course, their first round opponent is looking very much like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at that two seed. <laughs> so we might be staring down That's again amazing. a similar playoff situation to last year where Saints go in and sweep Brady because apparently just if there's one thing that can stop Brady, it is the New Orleans Saints in the regular season, of course. He is gained done to him what he has been doing to the Buffalo Bills for years. Do you like it, Tom? Do you like it? This is how it feels when an opponent just legitimately owns you. <laughs> Do you know who Tom Brady has lost to since joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? It's really unbelievable. Tom Brady's record since he joined Tampa Bay. Because four losses to the Saints. Yep. He has four losses to the Saints. Three losses. Two losses to the Rams. Four to the Saints. One to Nick Foles. And one to Taylor Heineke. That's it. That is the entire list of Tom Brady losses since joining Tampa. It's four Saints, two Rams, Nick Foles, and Taylor Heineke. At the very least, you'll say the Saints defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, I believe, probably locked himself down for a head coaching opportunity. Him, His ability to go in there and fill in for Sean Payton, too, as an interim head coach, probably put him in line for any potential job openings this season because the Saints are very much a team. And I think about growing up with the Saints and Drew Brees, a very offensive-led team. This is far and away a defensive-led unit. Their defense, I'm sure, is going to put up some great exotic blitz schemes to confuse the Miami Dolphins' offensive line, mix in a lot of packages that they were able to work in against the Buccaneers. I mean, the Bucs obviously have a great offensive line. The Miami Dolphins have a bad offensive line. But I think what the Dolphins are going to probably do well is classic to a football. As Janoris Jenkins made it a point to point out a couple weeks ago, or it wasn't Janoris Jenkins. Who I'm I'm thinking Giants cornerback. Who was it? Who was it? You probably on know. the Giants, James yes. Bradbury. Uh ah, it was Jackson. the guy that came after. Yes, it was Adoree Jackson who came after Tua for his a style of play, the two-yard passes down the field. But against a team that could get off a blitz package, that might work. That might be something in which actually can put together. The only thing is, can they run on the Saints? Obviously, you're talking about Miles Gaskin, Duke Johnson, Malcolm Brown, Salvin Ahmed, a bunch of also Rams going against one of the best run defenses in the league. I, I guess I'm just going to put it down. I think that Miami's defense will do more in this game, whereas I don't think that the Saints defense will be able to have another shutdown performance. I, I guess that's where we'll go. We'll disagree on this one. We'll have a little fun with it just because of where we put ourselves in the quarters the last couple of weeks. 
Either way, I'd like to see it. A 10-game run to close out the season, regardless of making the playoffs or not. What they want to have a headline to go into for the next season if you're a Miami Dolphins fan. Nine straight wins to finish the season. That might that might get him into the playoffs, by the way. Uh, I think the reason Dennis Allen probably won't get a head coaching job is because people remember what happened when Dennis Allen was a head coach. And for people who forget, Dennis Allen has been a head coach in the NFL before. It was 4-12, and 4-12, and 0-10 as head coach of the Oakland Raiders back in the early 2010s. But you have a rule. Remember, the Raiders can't be good. Is that Dennis Allen or is that just by virtue of being a Raiders head coach? Yeah, but Dennis Allen can't get one of the good head coaching jobs. He's going to get a Raiders adjacent franchise as his head coaching job, like the Chicago Bears or the Houston Texans. It's not like Dennis Allen's available for any of the good head coaching jobs. He's going to have to do what Man Campbell did and go coach a terrible franchise again. At the end of the day, there's very little good head coaching jobs when a franchise fires their head coach. Yeah. One job every couple of years that opens up like uh, the the Rams or the 49ers or the Colts that Josh McDaniels turned down, even though it might have been the best head coaching job of the last three years. All right, guys, we jumped the gun a little bit. We usually don't do our NFL previews this early. It just Kyle baited me and it was too good a topic to pass up talking about that excellent Monday night football game we have on tap. But we do have some games beforehand that are important, especially with here talking to the NBA correspondent of the Slump Buster podcast. It's Christmas Day, which is one of the biggest things for the NBA as we talk about mile markers in the season, what are important dates, what are things that matter. There is a large contingent of NBA players, coaches, fan bases that say the real season doesn't start till after Christmas. And here we are this Saturday, Christmas Day. Happy Christmas. Watch a lot of NBA games. I guess you can watch some NFL games. I'm sure the NBA is not too happy about that one, to be honest. And if you're really feeling yourself at 1130 in the morning on the West Coast, you can watch the Raycom Media Camellia Bowl if you're really feeling the sports day on Christmas. Because yes, they're making... Yeah, no, that's a real thing that's happening. I think it's uh, they're they're making kids. I think it's Ball State and uh, yeah, someone someone from Conference USA, uh, maybe Middle Tennessee or something, is playing in the Raycom Media Camellia Bowl on Christmas Day in Birmingham, Alabama. Fun. I don't want to spend time with my family and friends. I want to play in the Camellia Raycom Soup Bowl. I, I don't care. It's all dumb. I, I hate bowl games, to be honest. I, that's maybe my hot take. Anyone who loves college football, I'm not a bowl game guy. I love the games that matter. I love the playoff games. Anything else, like, I, I grew up around the New Mexico Bowl. It, it's whatever. <laughs> no yeah. one's like, oh, man, New Mexico Bowl champions. Let's go. No, uh, San Diego State used to care about that, but less so now, now that it's uh, it's the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. By the way, I found out only costs $65,000 to sponsor a bowl game. So if, if we want to pool some money together, we could uh, we could sponsor a bowl game ourselves like Barstool or Jimmy Kimmel did. Okay, I'll keep that in mind for the 2022 uh, salary. Stow that one away for the Happy Day Bowl Fund, I guess. Yes, so we can sponsor a one-time bowl game in Mobile, Alabama. All right, how should we do this? Should we just do some quick picks? I don't think we're going to go in-depth on each and every game here. Let's do this. I'm just going to run down the games. You're going to give me your pick, and then we're going to choose the most exciting out of these mixtures, and we'll go into those, okay? All righty. All right, our first game off the bat is going to be the Celtics. They are going into Milwaukee, one 30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Ooh, this is an interesting game because uh, Milwaukee is maybe going to be without Giannis in the COVID protocol. So uh, I'll take the Bucks just because the Bucks are better than the Celtics. 
though the Celtics have won when Giannis has been off the court. That's the only time we could beat the Bucks. <laughs> yes, when Chris Middleton is their best player, that's when you can beat them. Actually, I don't even think they had Chris Middleton the last time they beat the Bucks. I think they legitimately got lucky. They won in overtime, and the Bucks top three or top four stars were out. Neither here nor there. Let's move into the next one. The Atlanta Hawks. This one's a little bit earlier, actually. This one is the 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. They will be going into New York. They will be going into Madison Square Garden. The last time I remember, I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's the last time. They probably played in Madison Square Garden earlier in the season. But the last time that comes nope. to memory of Trey Young in Madison Square Garden was, of course, last year's playoffs where Trey Young, uh, he's been living rent-free there for a while. <laughs> Take a bow, wave goodbye. This is the first time that Trey Young has played in the Garden since that game. Uh, this is also the first time in eight years that the Knicks have gotten on Christmas Day. And this used to be a Christmas Day tradition. When I was a young lad of maybe seven, eight, nine years old, every year on Christmas, it would be waking up, opening presents, and for some weird reason at 9.30 in the morning on the West Coast would be a shitty Knicks basketball game against the Heat or the Celtics. It just, for some reason, one year it was Toronto. Like, it just always had a terrible New York Knicks game, just like a terrible Lions game at 9 a.m. on Thanksgiving. They stopped putting the Knicks on TV for a while. The Knicks are finally back in that classic 9 a.m. West Coast start time on Christmas Day. By the way, both teams are below 500 in this game. The Hawks and the Knicks both below 500 going into this game. I'll take the I'll take the Knicks because Trey Young and Bogdanovich and Gallinari are all in the COVID protocol. When Kyle was a young lad, he watched the Knicks lose into the garden against the Trey Youngs. That's pretty much what they are. They're not even the Hawks. They're just the Trey Youngs. But he said young lad. I was just like, why am I thinking Black Parade? Why is that coming on? But they did make the playoffs last year, and they'll get to play a play-in game against the Charlotte Hornets in a few months. Goody. Now Lamal Ball can do the same in the garden, have his playoff moment just to spite them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about this next one here. So Things get a little bit more exciting here. We got the Golden State Warriors at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. They will be going against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, this was an unintentionally great game for the NBA because uh, when they made the schedule at the start, I don't think they thought that these would be the two best teams in the Western Conference at the time that they set this up. So unintentionally great Christmas Day game for them. Uh, I will take the Warriors in this one. I don't think anyone's in the COVID protocol for this one. So I think this one will have uh, your full strength teams. Uh, it's got to compete against Browns and Packers. I will probably choose this over Browns and Packers. Got to be honest, probably going to choose Warriors Suns over Browns Packers. The Brooklyn Nets, and you talked about a potential Western Conference Finals preview. I think going into the season, a lot of people pick this as their NBA Finals preview. The Brooklyn Nets will be going into Los Angeles to face the Lakers, to face LeBron, to face AD. Uh, 7 p.m. Uh, not Central. Anthony Davis, though. Oh, Anthony that's right. Davis. I forgot. He had an ankle injury pop up this week, right? Because uh, of Ankle course. injury combined with a sprained MCL. So knee and ankle injury. Wait, what? Anthony Davis hurts? What? Yeah, this would be injuries, uh, I believe, 34 and 35 in his eight-year NBA career. He has missed extended time now with 35 different injuries in eight years. You know, I'm just picturing a meme of like, LeBron, how many injuries is AD going to have this year? Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. I'm not counting up to 36. 
but you get the point. Anthony Davis, I think I saw Mr. Glass was trending on Twitter at one point. Yep. Uh, I believe Charles Barkley's nickname for him is Street Clothes. Uh, I love that nickname that Anthony Davis is Street Clothes. Uh, I like that that was also trending on Twitter after he got hurt because, yeah, it's going to be another month and a half without Anthony Davis for the Lakers. But also Kevin Durant's in the COVID protocol. So <laughs> this game is, is very weird. All of these Christmas games. This is the one that the league might have to move because there's so many COVID cases on the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> I'll take the Lakers just because I know LeBron and Westbrook are going to play. So for the time being, I'll take the like, by the way, how has James Harden not gotten COVID? Like out of all of this time, James Harden has still never gotten COVID apparently in like 18 months with partying with little baby and uh, getting his jersey retired in Houston strip clubs and just being James Harden. Like James Harden is still somehow never ended up in COVID protocol. I think the alcohol probably just kills the virus or maybe like his beard works as like a weird defense. Like his beard is like a mask in itself. I remember when COVID first came out and I myself as a bearded gentleman was told that guys with beards tend to get COVID more, but apparently with James Harden, it is not the case. Yeah, James Harden still somehow, again, we don't know for certain, but I'm fairly sure James Harden has still never had COVID, which is pretty remarkable. Considering Lamar Jackson has has had COVID 17 times now, I'm stunned that nothing's happened. Sean Payton twice? Hell, we didn't even mention that in the last game. Sean Payton just got COVID again, and he's bad boosters, he had shots. So disappointed. So disappointed they didn't just put Kevin James dressed as Sean Payton on the Saints sideline. Missed opportunity. Huge missed opportunity right there. That would have been as great as if Andy Reid needed to sit out and they got the Andy Reid lookalike in Kansas City to come down as well. Yeah, I'll take the Lakers anyways. (laughs) Lakers just because last man standing, I guess, at this point. All right, last game up is going to be the Mavericks and the Jazz. I believe I just saw breaking news. Luka Donk, Donkic. Is Donkic or Donkic? Uh, it depends. You can go Donkic or Donchich. Both of them are correct. Donkic. Luka Donkic. That still doesn't sound right to me. Either way. Well, not, I call whatever. him Donchich. He will be entering the COVID protocol today, which obviously this game is Saturday. Highly doubt he's going to be suiting up against the Utah Jazz, 9.30 Central Start Time. Yeah, that's the only reason why I'm taking the Jazz. Seems to be a theme with all these games is uh, your stars are not going to play because everyone's in the COVID protocol. Merry Christmas, guys, and a happy new year with a new variant because that's just our life now. Year three, baby. Year three of COVID now. Let's get it. All right. Well, I I think that based off our conversation here, short-lived, the best game standing is the Warriors and the Suns. Any more deeper analysis to this game here? Uh, Nope. Go watch Colts and Cardinals instead on on the back half of games. No need to watch Mavericks and Jazz. No need to watch Nets and Lakers. Well, Nets and Lakers, you can watch if you want. But I would recommend watching Colts and Cardinals instead. Warriors-Suns is interesting because it's hard to do like one-game samples on basketball, which is why regular season games become less relevant in the NBA, but I am interested to watch the Warriors-Suns game uh, for multiple reasons. One, Jordan Poole might be back for the Golden State Warriors. I'm not sure if that'll make a difference, but he's basically been their de facto third best player this season, uh, which is a little surprising because he was an undrafted guy from Michigan who we all remember hitting the crazy buzzer beater in March Madness, and then he kind of reemerged a couple years later as this really great player for the Warriors. So I think getting Jordan Poole back will help, and Phoenix feels like they win when they shoot well and they lose when they don't.
don't shoot well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with Chris Paul and Devin Booker in that game. And maybe maybe this is the Michael Bridges game. Who knows? Maybe eventually Michael Bridges will come in and look like a legitimate third scoring option. It'll be interesting to watch. At this current point in time, the season series is leaning towards the Phoenix Suns as they are two and one against the Golden State Warriors in this 2021. They've played three season. times already. Jesus. Yes. So that's at least according to StatMuse.com for reference. So that's, this is the last time they play this year. That's interesting. This is the last time the Warriors play the Suns this year. Do you think the NBA just didn't realize a little bit ago? You talked about it. Didn't realize just how good the Warriors were going to be. Just how good the Suns were going to continue to be. I don't know because they still put one of them on national TV and then they put another one on Christmas. So I think the the Suns were the defending Western Conference champions and up 2-0 on the Bucks at one point. But I, I think even still people were surprised that the Suns were as good as they were to start this season. And I don't even know if it's the truth. Like, I don't know if the Suns like come back down to earth in the second half of the season and we start to see a clear gap between them and the Warriors because I feel certain the Warriors are really good. I don't feel as certain about Phoenix. Um, but at the same time, maybe this is just schedules work this way. Like in the NFL, the Vikings play the Bears twice in the last four weeks of the season. Like sometimes it just, that's how the schedule breaks, I guess. As long as they got their three guys, I think they'll be fairly well off more than what we also had going on when you talk about the other famous trios or duos currently in the Western Conference. Obviously, you talk about the Nuggets already. They are, they're hurting without Jamal Murray in there, and they lost Michael Porter Jr. earlier in the season. Now we're talking about the Lakers without Anthony Davis. Even if, worst case, um, everyone's stats to trend downward for Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, if they're still on the court, they're at least going to maintain balance. And considering they already built up such equity at the early part of the season, I don't know how far they could really drop off from at least top four in the West. Well, this is the same thing that happened last year in the playoffs because you had every single one of the top 10 teams had a significant member of their team get injured, except the Phoenix Suns. But then Chris Paul went into COVID protocol during the Western Conference Finals. So Phoenix got to advance because it just happened to be that everyone had some kind of injury. For Utah, it was Mike Conley. Uh, For the Clippers, it was Kawhi Leonard. Lakers lost LeBron and Anthony Davis late in that series. The Nuggets lost lost uh, Jamal Murray in the regular season. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, you could go down the line to DiVincenzo being out for the Bucks. Brooklyn Nets lost Kyrie Irving and James Harden at times during their series. The Hawks lost Trey Young at the end of the conference finals. The 76ers didn't have any injuries. They just had Ben Simmons fall apart at the end. So even still, injuries and people being out is, is kind of what's affecting entire results in sports, as we're seeing right now in the NFL. Like injuries and results like this are affecting the results that we see and that's kind of just sports I think it's just at such a high volume now that we just feel like there's an issue with it and I guess we have this conversation every decade or so and we have a couple years in a row with bad injuries and a global pandemic only exacerbates the fact that people are out for extended periods of time so yeah I I think this is kind of the same situation as last year where Phoenix and Golden State hasn't had Clay Thompson but Phoenix and Golden State rise above everyone else because they just happen to stay healthier you think the NBA is just a little bit sad in their game planning here that Clay Thompson was not healthy in time for this one. 
it hurts, but I think the narrative is still fun with Warriors versus Suns because the most remarkable thing that happened this year, and this is from someone who said at the start of the year, the Warriors would be better, but wouldn't be better than the Lakers or even the Denver Nuggets to a certain extent. Even while saying that, the Warriors don't have Klay Thompson and they're still the best team in the NBA. They've basically, Andrew Wiggins has spent so much time playing the Warriors offense that now he starts to do some of the things we saw from Harrison Barnes and Jordan Poole does some of the things that Clay Thompson does and Damian Lee does some of the stuff where he just spots up shoots from three and it's really interesting to see the Warriors offense because of Steph Curry demanding so much of the defense and being still MVP good it opens all the opportunities that Clay Thompson had that Harrison Barnes had during those first two runs that Leandro Barbosa had it's really interesting to see that version of the Warriors come back to life because Steph Curry now has teammates that know how to play with Steph Curry it's really it took two or three years to get there but he has teammates that now know how to play basketball around Steph Curry and the Warriors are fine even without Klay Thompson I'm so fascinated to see how good they get to be with Klay Thompson back on offense combined with the fact the Warriors have allowed the fewest points in the NBA this season Draymond Green can't play offense and they don't need him to because Draymond Green win defensive player of the year in the NBA this year for like the third time in his career now or fourth time in his career because the the strength of the Warriors teams that we didn't talk about enough from 2015 to 2016 was Golden State always being one or two in defense during those first two championship runs. And now they've brought great defense back into the picture uh, now that Kevin Durant is gone and the offense doesn't run entirely through him. They've, they've brought great defense back and it makes them totally overwhelming. That will be fascinating with Clay back too, just to see how he plays defense coming off the two injuries. Because one thing that gets lost in how good of a shooter how great of a shooter clay thompson is is that he was also integral in those uh golden state warriors defensive game planning Yeah, that's the part that's weird too, is that like the only player on the court you can point to that plays great defense is Draymond Green and occasionally Kevon Looney and Andre Iguodala coming back, but Iguodala only 12 minutes a game for the Warriors right now. But consistently on the court, Steph Curry's not a good defender. Jordan Poole's not a great defender. Andrew Wiggins for the first seven years of his career was regarded as a shit defender. And now he's like, he's not great, but he's playing better defense than he has in his career. I I think that it's weird how that's worked out for Golden State, but this feels like Draymond Green is doing so much of the defensive heavy lifting for the Warriors and having Andre Iguodala back helps to a certain extent, but he's done so much of the heavy lifting defensively for the Warriors that it's amazing how good they've been through this part of the season when everyone looks at, wow, Steph Curry's been amazing offensively and Wiggins is averaging 20 a game and Jordan Poole is averaging like four threes a game. And a lot of the defensive side is the reason the Warriors are what, like 22 and five right now instead of what they were last year, which was scoring a lot of points, but giving up a lot of points at the same time. It's been an interesting flip back for them. Well, credit to you. And I'll give you a huge credit here. I'll give you your flowers, as they say. Obviously, we go back to the preseason tiers video. You were bold in putting them in championship tier. You put them in finals tier, which I think is huge. You also put the Raptors as a tanking team, which we learned is a big no-no for apparently most Canadians. Uh, But you did say that the Warriors were a championship level team. And that's rang true. I I think if you were to redo that, probably the only one, would you move Phoenix up to a championship tier? I would move Phoenix up to a championship tier. Obviously, the Nuggets have have got injuries that have messed with them this year. But even when I did that, if you remember the video, like I didn't even believe it when I was saying it. I just felt like, 
Golden State and Denver, one of them was going to make the conference finals, but it felt like they were so far behind the Lakers because the Lakers had three all-star caliber players that it felt like just by default putting them in there because someone had to make the conference finals. And if maybe one or two injuries happen for the Lakers, that team can make it to the NBA finals. I didn't even think Phoenix would be that team. So credit to Phoenix. Like it was foreseeable because they brought back the same team that went to the finals. But I think we all just assumed Well, if LeBron had been healthy, they would have lost in the first round. Or if Kawhi had been healthy, they would have lost in the first round. Well, now LeBron and Anthony Davis are injured again. Kawhi Leonard's not here. So once again, Phoenix is still better than the Utahs and the Dallases and the Portlands that I I think I listed as second round exit type of teams on that graphic that we were talking about. So everlasting credit to Phoenix. They've been really, really good this year. Even if I don't think they're as good as the Warriors and even though I think if all three of the Lakers are playing they can beat them in a seven game series Phoenix is better than I thought which is a little bit of a cop-out I know I did the same thing with the Bengals early in the year where I'm like the Bengals are just better than I thought but the the Suns I'm like cautiously optimistic I'm like they've already proven me wrong now it's going to be to what extent they prove me wrong because I still feel like they're not quite Brooklyn they're not quite Milwaukee they're not quite Golden State them and the Lakers I'm like it'd be fun to watch them play a series against each other in the second round all right let's stay on Christmas Day but we'll shift back into our NFL predictions here let's start off with the first of our Christmas NFL games where we have the Green Bay Packers facing the Cleveland Browns as you mentioned this is a game you might detour from in favor of the Golden State Warriors versus the Phoenix Suns if it came down to a one one of the two but in this game the Packers enter a seven and a half point favorites this is a do or die game basically for the Cleveland Browns they have no breathing room they have to win out if they still want to keep this dream alive they still want to keep their playoff chances relatively alive as they dwindle by the day I was actually having a conversation with Drew about this obviously Drew hosted the Slumpbuster Fantasy Football Podcast Drew big time Cleveland Browns fan I think unfortunately for the Browns they're starting to get to this point where they struggle when there are expectations on their franchise Because you go back to the Freddie Kitchens year, there was expectations for Baker to have a good sophomore year. They got playmakers. They got people to improve their defensive line. They got Jarvis Landry, and they fell short that year. While going to this year, people were talking about the Cleveland Browns as a Super Bowl contender. People were saying that this franchise had finally turned the corner, and here we are fighting for their playoff lives. Their best case to make the playoffs is not the wild card. It's through the division and they have to have a lot break their way for it to happen. But it starts by facing the number one seed in the NFC conference, a team that is at top my power rankings as of today, the Green Bay Packers. And Vegas, as mentioned, tends to agree that this is not even a close matchup. They have the Cleveland Browns as over a touchdown underdog heading into Lambeau. And when I just say this sentence out loud, what do you think? Baker Mayfield goes into Lambeau and wins the game. Does that sound right? Does that sound like within a range of outcomes you would predict? Because to me, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like a big game spot for Baker. As much as I like to believe in him early in his career, as much as I love the brashness, as love 
as much as I loved him shooting the shit with Colin Cowherd and like saying, hey, you know what? I, I like my passion. I like my energy. It started to wear on me. I think it started to wear on a lot of Browns fans, especially when he started to target Browns fans in his press conferences early in the year, battling through the injuries. And now they're going into this game and there's conversations, even though stupid conversations. Should we just roll out Nick Mullins? Should we just roll out Case Keenum? It's not exactly <laughs> looking great in Cleveland at this moment if you're having to have that conversation here in week 16. I actually kind of like Cleveland's chances in this game. Ooh. And here's here's the reason why I like Cleveland's chances in this game. Green Bay Packers have struggled to stop the run for three consecutive years now. Who's the best running team in the NFL? The Cleveland Browns. The reason that they almost beat the Raiders with Nick Mullins and Donovan Peoples-Jones as their top wide receiver and quarterback tandem? Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb had basically two touchdowns. One was called back on penalty that led to the Harrison Bryant touchdown, but basically two touchdowns for Nick Chubb, 100 rushing yards. The reason they're going to lose is because the defense is not going to be able to stop Aaron Rodgers from scoring 28 points against them. That's just something that it's going to be hard to figure out. Now, if they force turnovers on Aaron Rodgers, this is a very, very winnable game for the Cleveland Browns. Now, are you asking me, who is an optimist for the Cleveland Browns? I think that they're still a pretty good team. Uh, The difference between them being the four seed and the 12 seed is one kick by Daniel Carlson and one completion by Derek Carr. Uh, That's the only thing that's keeping them from being the number four seed right now. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. But if you're asking me, will Aaron Rodgers throw two interceptions and have one fumble against the Cleveland Browns, I'm going to say odds are not great. So for that reason, I'm going to take the Green Bay Packers. But the Browns have a path to victory in this game. Don't be surprised if Cleveland like at the end has a chance to win it. Or actually, I shouldn't say have a chance at the end to win it because I don't think that's going to go well. It's either going to be Green Bay wins by a couple scores or Cleveland forces a bunch of turnovers, gets a lead, and then can just run the ball over and over and over on Green Bay. So I think Cleveland can win this game, even if I don't have the cojones to pick Cleveland to win this game. And the reason for that is if they get an early lead and if Aaron Rodgers gives them points back by committing turnovers, whether, you know, Miles Garrett has a good pass rushing day or Troy Hill gets an interception or Denzel Ward locks down Devontae Adams or whatever. Interceptions and turnovers are weird in the NFL. Sometimes, you know, you just throw left-handed passes and they get picked off. Like turnovers are random in the NFL. But if Cleveland gets a lead, they can beat the Green Bay Packers. And uh, it'll only come if Green Bay turns the ball over and Cleveland gets an early lead. And even then, it might be difficult to win because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. I will actually push back on something you said, though, um, Green Bay's ability to stop the run. So I just did a little bit of looking here, and this is according to footballdatabase.com. It actually has the Packers as a fairly decent running defense, giving up about 107 rushing yards per game, which would put them within the top 10 against the run. That may be some game scripting in. They may have found themselves in some favorable game scripts where if they establish a lead, it's harder for a team to run against them. But that they also get to, Devondre Campbell back as well, which is a huge lift for their rush defense. Adding in they're starting to get a little bit healthier as they go. I don't think that they're anywhere close to that team that went against the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. They're far from having Raheem Mostert have almost 200 yards before contact in them. They're not that bad of a run defense as they once were. 
But I will say that I don't think they're great. And if the Cleveland Browns are able to get Nick Chubb rolling, then sure, that, that's a pathway for any team. If your elite players are making elite plays, you can win any game. The problem is I need my quarterback to do more. I can't have this be a 40 rushing attempt, less than 20 passing attempt day for Baker. I need him to go out there and make plays for me if I'm going to win this game. You look at how the Packers won this last game with um, the Ravens panicking and saying, we got to score two points because we want to stop Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is still turning out to be, as Stephen A. Smith calls it, that bad man. And to counteract that, the best way is your quarterback also making plays. Your quarterback making enough plays to beat Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think Baker has lived up to it this season, certainly, but I don't think Baker has really even really lived up to it in his career. You think about Baker's best days as a quarterback in the NFL, a lot of them have come against the Cincinnati Bengals, not really against top opponents, not against winning opponents, and certainly not in an environment like Lambeau. Lambeau is such a unique football environment that a lot of quarterbacks aren't ready for. People that play there every year, year like Matthew Stafford, Kirk Cousins, people that play in that division aren't ready for it on a given basis. An uncommon opponent, Browns, Packers, Baker going into Lambeau. I, I don't think that lines up in favor of him as well as he's still a young quarterback at the end of the day. And that is still a big time atmosphere. That's a playoff atmosphere. Like I said, a lot of times there's a part of me that wants to say desperate team wins, but the Packers are not, not desperate in a way. They want to lock up the number one seed for the next two weeks. I say the Packers are going to play like a desperate team because they want that number one seed. Tampa opened the door for them to firmly lock up that seed. I was talking about it a couple weeks ago that if you looked at the Tampa Bay's last three games where they had Carolina twice in the Jets, there was a pathway for Tampa to get back home field advantage. But then, of course, they dropped the one to the Saints, which leaves it wide open for the Packers to secure NFC Championship game January Lambeau Field. And that's why they're going to come out. They're going to want to rock the Cleveland Browns, which is not going to rock for Cleveland. Sorry, guys. I think this season ends here. Green Bay Packers for me. Green Bay Packers for Kyle. Have a happy Christmas. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Let's move on to our next game on the Christmas slate. That is going to be the Colts and the Cardinals. <laughs> I'm so mad. I am so mad about the Detroit Cardinals game. As a Kyler Murray fantasy football owner, I am honestly livid. I, I, may, I may have made a short joke on the fantasy football podcast, mostly because Kyler Murray came up short of my expectations. And I was so livid Sunday seeing 12 points against the Detroit Lion from Kyler Murray. But this is not a fantasy football podcast. This is not the fantasy football take. This is just my own frustrations. But I do think if you're a Cardinals fan, you do have to start worrying a little bit because we've started to notice trends. We've started to notice trends from Kyler Murray. We've started to notice trends from Cliff Kingsbury in December. Currently, as it stands here today, the Cardinals have lost both of their big December games against the Rams, and as it turned out, the Detroit Lions, to the point where you have to wonder if this is almost an endemic issue on this team, on this team when the games start to matter a little bit more, because they went from coasting to the number one seed, to locking on field advantage, to not having to worry about, as I mentioned earlier, going to Lambeau, to now they're in a tie for the division. They might lose the division. They might lose home field advantage. They might have to be a wild card team on the road when it comes to this playoff season. And the only way they're going to avoid it is by beating a Colts team that is four and one in their last five games. A Colts team that has forced a turnover in every single game this season. A Colts team that forces a lot of turnovers. In fact, leads the NFL in that. We talked about the struggles that the Colts had at one point defensively. They've turned it around. They fixed it. And maybe they have larger issues that the turnover 
turnovers are masking, but, but the point is they force them. And right now the Cardinals are starting to leak the ball over. They're starting to have these bad turnovers. They had the bad turnovers against the Rams. They had the bad turnovers against Detroit. You should not be down 17-0 against the Lions. Man Campbell should not be manhandling you when you're only lost two games on the season to that point, three games on the season, whatever it is. This is just a, a shocking um, turnaround when it comes to the Colts and certainly a shocking um, downfall when it comes to the Cardinals at this point in the season. Maybe not so shocking. Maybe I'm the crazy one. Kyle, as again, the producer of the Red Reigns podcast with Walter Mitchell, correct? I got the host right. That is correct. Yes. With SB Nation's Arizona with Cardinals SB Nation. page. Yes, yes, yes. All those things. Tell me, what are you expecting from the Cardinals in this game? Ooh, this is a loaded question, isn't it? Because the Arizona Cardinals have been interesting. The NFL is one of these weird sports where the team you are at the beginning of the season isn't always the team you are at the end of the season. And the Colts and Cardinals are both two of these teams where it took a while for the Colts to start to get rolling. A lot of it was the offensive line getting healthy again and the fact that they've had remarkably good luck in health this year in regards to the rest of the league. Um, In Indianapolis, when I thought that it looked like this run was coming to an end for them with Costanzo retiring over the offseason and losing guys like, uh, what is his name? The guy who went to the the Titans, Danico Autry, losing guys in free agency, Darius Leonard's contract coming up and Quentin Nelson's contract coming up that they were going to have to kind of retool this team over the next couple of years. And the Colts are actually legitimately good. Like I, I think the Colts beating the Patriots was not as surprising as some people made it out to be considering I picked the Indianapolis Colts to win. Uh, part of that was, was just game theory that you picked the Patriots. And so I picked the Colts and the Colts ended up winning. Uh, it just happened to work out that way in the pick. I did say they were close. I went back and forth with that as well. I gave a slightly, and I thought Belichick would have came out a little bit stronger, but the Colts, Hey, remember I've been one of their early supporters going to this oh, of point course. of the season. And so far to this point, I mean, they've only gotten better. You talk about you not being the same team as you start the season as to end the season. I think that just goes into the NFL being a game of adjustments. And for the Arizona Cardinals, you look at the team that they were at the start of the year when they had that really long win streak and Kyler Murray was an MVP candidate. And and we were all surprised that Arizona had been that good because most people picked Arizona to finish last place in the NFC West to start the year. And part of that was because all the teams in the NFC West are very strong. The Seahawks ended up not being the strong team this year because Russell Wilson got hurt, but they're still an okay team. Arizona came out really hot at the start of the season and then Max Williams got hurt. Then J.J. Watt got hurt. Both of their guards got hurt. DeAndre Hopkins has only had 600 yards this year, and now he's going to be out until potentially a playoff game. And the, the culmination of that was just they got smacked by the Detroit Lions and Jesus Christ, who would have thought that the Arizona Cardinals were going to get if not they, just beat yeah. smacked. If they just lost by a couple points, late field goal, whatever, they were down 17 to zero out the gate. Remember when we were talking about the bottomless pit of hell, that was the seventh seed in the NFC a couple weeks ago. And you really wanted to talk about how the Falcons had a chance to make the playoffs. Uh, I said that the Falcons would lose every single, game the rest of the season and that included the game they play against the Lions this week uh, because the Lions for all the jokes we've made about them they have been really really unlucky in one possession games this year in fact the unluckiest team in the NFL in one possession games you know who's been the luckiest team in the NFL in one possession games the Atlanta Falcons so it felt like it was a perfect culmination and then I couldn't even get to be ahead of the curve because the Lions won now it's a trendy pick to pick the Lions over the Falcons so I couldn't even like take that one and run with it 
that I said two weeks ago that the Falcons would lose to the Lions. But all of that to say, Detroit is not better than Arizona, but they're not as bad as their record suggested. So the line probably should have been a little closer than 12 and a half in that game. It's just everyone was betting the Arizona Cardinals. Did not expect Jared Goff to have the fifth highest passer rating in the entire NFL that week. Eight and one in his career against the Cardinals. Yeah, it's, stupid it's stats really dumb. that exist. And that also includes John Walford winning one of the games <laughs> against the Arizona Cardinals because it's it's all very weird. All of this for this game, I'm going to take the Colts in this game. And the reason I'm going to take the Colts is Colts are really good at football. The Arizona Cardinals, this is a game that I probably would have said they would have lost before they lose to the Detroit Lions. The fact that they lose to the Detroit Lions gives me pause for concern. I will say though, the one thing that's always working in the Arizona Cardinals favor is that quarterback. And that I don't know how healthy Kyler Murray is at this point in the season. I know he took a month off to recover from injury, which means there's no real way he's back to a hundred percent at this point, but whatever percent Kyler Murray's playing at the last two games, he had a 60 passer rating and a 70.2 passer rating in the loss to the Rams and the loss to the Detroit Lions. But we know that Kyler Murray, when healthy, can be one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL and give you 120 passer rating. So Kyler Murray can do it for the Arizona Cardinals to at least keep them in the game. Not that the Arizona Cardinals like need help staying in games. They're still a very strong team regardless with a pretty good defense, I'll say. You know, we, we thought their secondary would be terrible to start the year and then they were really good and now they're playing terrible again so it's it's really hard to figure that out but Arizona has Kyler Murray and having Kyler Murray always gives you a chance to win against teams like the Colts yeah and that's somewhat of a problem statement there you did mention with the caveat if Kyler Murray is healthy there but we're in December. Not a lot of players are healthy. There's so many banged up quarterbacks. I mean, there's so many NFL veterans that would say no one's healthy in December. So Kyler Murray just at this point in the year, and I I don't know if it's also reflective of last year, has to just grit his teeth and power through because you're right. He is the driver on the team. He's the franchise quarterback. He's the guy that Cardinals are going to have to decide in a year or two. What type of insane contract are we going to give you? Technically this off season, Kyler's eligible for an extension beginning. He is eligible. I might be willing to play it out one more year if I was running their team, but that's not my decision to make. Either way, you're looking at this point where if he continues to falter in December, that is not a good thing for your team. That is not a good thing when it comes to doling out a huge contract. Now, I will say where I agree with you here, I'm going to go with the Colts too, but it starts with just the dark horse of dark horse MVP candidates, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor going against a Cardinals run defense that is bottom 10 in yards per carry that almost allows five yards per carry. And we have seen this man. He is about to, if he scores in this game, 11 straight games with a touchdown, which I believe I may be wrong here is an NFL record. Jonathan Taylor has been on another level this year. And even when Derrick Henry comes back, there's a legitimate argument to be made on who is the better running back. I guess it's more of a pick your poison type of thing. You probably lean with the bigger guy, but I guess it depends on what type of Derrick Henry do we get back when he get comes back from this injury? Because we've seen injuries like that, particularly a big guy. You hear about foot injuries. You don't like any of your big guys going down with a foot injury. Jonathan Taylor, I, I think, will be legitimately a cover boy, number one fantasy running back for the next couple of years here as we start to see the other old guard of Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry even, start to get injured and banged up. Jonathan Taylor has been a game changer this year. 
uh, Carson Wentz didn't even have to do much. He was on cruise control in that Patriots game, which is probably for the best because obviously the Patriots, whenever Carson Wentz was throwing the ball, they were licking their chops there. But I, I just love that Jonathan Taylor has turned into a guy that could just call game. His late run there that pretty much sealed the deal for the Colts. Uh, it tells you that he has been just out of this world this season for him. And as much as I hate picking against a team to lose three straight games, especially a good team, good teams don't typically lose three straight games. I do have to go with the Colts because they're playing consistently good football. Just at the end of the day, it's just good football, which I think is the important thing. In fairness, the Rams did technically lose three straight games also, and I still consider them to be a very good team. So I'm just saying I don't like picking a team that I consider good to lose three straight games. I think the Rams, when it came down to it, it was just scheduling. Obviously, you have a bad game against the Niners. You go against the Packers. Who else did they lose to in that stretch? uh the titans the titans you face three good teams in a row the cardinals i guess really have no room for air considering they also face the lion sandwich in between theirs potentially theirs if they go yeah. on in fact this three game streak that we're talking about here yeah i think arizona is faltering at the wrong time this year injuries are going to be the reason that they probably don't make a deep playoff run their season will end if it doesn't end against either the rams or cowboys in the wild card it will end whenever they have to travel to tampa or to green bay uh, i feel pretty secure in that but that's still a victory for cardinals fans and the thing i say uh with walter on the podcast a lot is whenever cardinals fans get down is like you have that quarterback for a decade that special quarterback is going to be there for a decade for your franchise barring you know health totally falling apart for him like rg3 but that dude looks good like he's going to be special for a long time and that's a victory for arizona he's going to be fun but i guess a big determining factor in a good comp for kyler murray is is he going to be russell wilson without the early career success because if i think russell he's wilson just doesn't more have talented that super bowl what, how do we look at russell wilson's career yeah he probably has a little bit more bells and whistles than russ when you talk about his ability to run in the open field i think he's a little bit more dynamic in his ability to play make in that area whereas Russ relied more on just scramble drill just get out of the pocket and just make some crazy bullshit happen they both have a well, very good deep ball sorry I was gonna say while Russell Wilson is a very good athlete Kyler Murray is almost universally regarded as the greatest high school football player in the history of the state of Texas so I would say like Kyle Murray's Allen just... break his records or something like that not it's that it matters like that. not that it matters but you know I, I just find it kind of funny that you think about bringing up high school stats i think kyle allen technically hasn't beat on like but he made it to the nfl kyle allen made it to the nfl tells you it's a lot of good products coming out of the state of texas am i right i haven't seen a high school game myself either but whatever (laughs) yeah kyler murray feels like more talented russell wilson that's where i see him right now is like more talented version of russell wilson at a younger stage but when he gets that contract when you get him for the next 10 years will you be able to build the team around him that is necessary because he didn't come into the league with a legion of boom in his backyard this is totally fair i don't know if the cardinals will win at that level that the seahawks one of the greatest winning teams of our lifetime will win at but i think that even still the cardinals can be very successful with a 40 five million dollar contract for kyler murray that's about to be signed in a few months we have two more games remaining both of these games are very important for their respective divisions in fact it's hard to pick which one i like more so that's why i'm gonna cop out and defer to you which one are we going with here kyle because these are just two really bangers of the games we have this is difficult uh 
I really, really, really want to talk about the Bengals and and Ravens game at some point because it's basically stakes and storylines on the playoffs. And we'll talk about the AFC playoff picture a little bit. So do we want to go there? At some point? Well, let's make it this point then. Yes, let's talk about the Bengals. Let's talk about the Ravens. A very important game in the AFC North between these teams. Did we think we'd be here when we started the season? Did we think the Ravens were going to run away with it? Our preseason predictions respectively would probably reflect that. I think I had the Ravens as a 13 win team and injuries just continued to destabilize them as the season progressed. And the Bengals, I thought that would be a nice story at the start of the year. I had them as a seven win projection. And then you start seeing the team start to pick up there. You start to see them go head to head against the Packers. You and have a good game, see them beat a good team like the Ravens, beat the hell out of the Steelers twice. And then you're like, okay, the Bengals are actually just a good team this year. And now as it stands here today, they are currently leading the AFC North. So it's on the Ravens to go into this game, go into Cincinnati to take back the division. They are entering as four and a half point underdogs. And as of this recording, because obviously when we have a huge injury situation like this, it is important to state we are recording here on a Wednesday. We don't know if Lamar is going to play at this time. Could be another week of Tyler Huntley. And to his credit, Tyler Huntley may be earning himself a contract in the future. Tyler Huntley may be earning himself a place with another team, given his success against the Packers, given his success against the Browns late in that game. Another big storyline and a big thing that's been talked about on every mainstream platform this week has been John Harbaugh, analytics-based approaches. The fact that two of the Ravens' last three losses, now that the Ravens are on a three-game slide, were because of the decision to go for a late two-point conversion rather than just take the automatic extra point with Justin Tucker. I don't disagree with John Harbaugh going for it, though. You know, I know the fans hate it now, but there is... Not a single fan in most audiences, 99% that doesn't say, let's go for it, guys. Come on, buckle down. Let's go for it. We got this. We got them reeling. We got them on their back foot. Let's take them out. I just disagree with maybe the play calling. Maybe just rolling out that rollout pass to Mark Andrews just isn't the move for them at this point. I think if the Ravens are going to make those bold approaches, they should maybe be a little bit more dynamic. But it's one of those things that's damned if you do, damned if you don't. You're a genius when it works and you're an idiot when it fails. Whenever they did it against the Chiefs early in the year, who was the first to post those Randy Marsh, Big Balls, Baltimore Ravens memes? Us. And it's because he earned it at that time. But when you lose, you're just the village idiot. Yeah, of course. And this is the thing that I uh, I will not give life to the people who want to argue that they should not have gone forward in that situation, because as soon as they scored the touchdown, I'm sitting by my TV and saying, go for two. And of course, like just watching the game, it's so obvious to see that they should go for two in that situation because they're not supposed to be here. They were 10 point underdogs against the Green Bay Packers. They were down 14 like eight minutes ago and stormed all the way back yeah and let's look at john harbaugh's explanations for both times that he's went for it in those situations against the pittsburgh stillers they were down to their very last cornerback in fact going into this game the ravens don't have a single person in their defensive backfield that they started the year with that's how depleted the baltimore ravens secondary is so against the stillers they were really reeling after Marlon Humphreys went down in that game. Fast forward to this week, as a Niners fan who saw it in week four, when the Green Bay Packers rolled into town, Aaron Rodgers with time, if you give Aaron Rodgers a chance late, it can bite you in the ass. 
So not if you have a chance that, to Aaron win it there and then, also gotten the ball first in overtime. Yes, if you got the ball first in overtime, and you factor in your poorest secondary against one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, is that really a gamble you want to take? I'd rather take the chance of my team locking down and gain two yards because my team has been scoring points consistently throughout this game. I'd yeah. rather take two yard chance than going against one of the greatest of all time quarterbacks when I'm starting Kyle Ledbetter at safety and Julian Martinez at starting corner. Yeah, so this is classic game theory is what we're talking about here is do you just play it out as long as you can and try and improve your odds or do you just skip to the end result as quickly as possible? Uh, I like to often play the end result as quickly as possible myself when doing this game theory analysis. Like, I know where this is going. I think my odds are pretty good right now. Let's play it out as we go. So uh, just quickly evaluating your odds and realizing what it is. John Harbaugh said afterwards, if you look at the numbers going for two was maybe a better call like he had no idea what the numbers say there he does the thing every time where he goes to Lamar and he's like what do you want to do and Lamar's like I want to go for it and they're like let's go for it the player always wants to go for it the fans always want to go for it and it's only when it doesn't work that everyone hates the idea of going for it yeah and because remember they went for two at the end of the game against the Chiefs early on in the season said big balls Randy Marsh John Harbaugh yeah and it's damned if you do damned if you don't like you say uh let's move on to talking about the Bengals a little bit because I said I didn't want to talk about going for two and give uh, give breath of life to this conversation because of course Fair of enough. course they should have gone for two there. I've watched enough football to know you should go for two in that situation. Uh, the AFC playoff picture looks like an insane jumble of chaos right now because seeds four through 13 have either seven or eight wins right now. It's actually not as complicated as people think it is. It looks chaotic right now, but it's not as complicated as you think. The only reason it looks complicated is because the AFC West and AFC North, all of their teams have at least seven wins. The reason that's the case is because the AFC West played the NFC East this year. The NFC East is a big load of crap. The NFC North, outside of the Packers, is a gigantic load of crap. And so they just kept beating up on all those other teams because the teams in that division are terrible. And what's going to happen in the AFC, I'll put this out here and I will put my stamp on this because I've talked about it multiple times on Take It Easy. I think I might have mentioned it off the top here a little bit. Here's what's going to happen in the AFC. The Chiefs are going to be the one seed. The Patriots are going to win their division. Most likely we'll talk about that game in a second. If not, Buffalo's going to be in there. You're going to have the Titans win the AFC South, even though no one wants them to win it. They're going to win it. It's just going to happen. We're all going to have to deal with it. No one's happy about it, but we're just going to have to accept that the Titans are going to host a playoff game. The Bills are going to be the five seed. And if they're not the five seed, it's because they'll be the six seed. The Colts are going to make the playoffs and the Chargers are going to be the seven seed. And then one team from the AFC North is going to make the playoffs. And it'll probably be whoever wins this football game, which I will say is going to be the Bengals if Lamar Jackson does not play. And it's going to be the Ravens if Lamar Jackson does play. That is the pick I'm going to lay down here. Uh, If you're going to make me put it down, I think the odds are more likely Lamar doesn't play. So I'll take the Cincinnati Bengals to win this week. Uh, and if Lamar Jackson plays, I would like to reserve the right to say that I called it if the Ravens win and Lamar plays, but I will take the Cincinnati Motion Bengals. Motion denied. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll take the Bengals to win, even though it's weird that the Bengals are going to make the playoffs. But fun fact, 16 of the last 18 years in the NFL, a team has gone from last place to first place in their division. It did not happen last year because it used to be 16 out of 17. And then this year, the Cincinnati Bengals would be the one team that goes from last place to first place as the NFL slowly legislates parity further out of the sport. So the Bengals might get to be that team this year. Congratulations to them. I mentioned I was an early adopter on the Colts, was certainly how an early adopter on the Bengals. I'm going to stick with them at this point in the season because they've earned the respect that they're getting. And they're a little bit banged up on defense going into this game. They didn't have Luke Wilson last week. Trey Hendrickson, I believe, will still be out this week as well. So they're not nearly as dynamic defensively as they were. But I'm starting to learn that this Bengals team is a little bit deeper on the defensive line than we gave them credit for initially. We're starting to learn more names like a BJ Hill comes out and has been one of the better run stoppers in the league and we're, we're starting to see these guys contribute all over the field for them I, even watching them two weeks ago when they played my Niners I was watching this game and I'm like damn Trey Hendrickson went out they're still getting pressure they're still getting into the backfield so this defense they're an AFC North style of defense that's what I'll say about them they are built for this division and if you're talking about just long-term prospects if you're talking about futures for the Bengals I think that as long as they maintain a good core obviously they got Trey Hendrickson on, on a bargain deal one of the league best bargains when they got Trey Hendrickson. If they're able to keep that core around, they're going to have a team that could compete, compete for multiple years. And it starts too with the fact that they have a franchise quarterback, Joe Burrow. We'll see how those wars go over the next few years. Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, head to head for years. That could be a fun dynamic. We don't know what the Steelers are going to do. We certainly don't know what the Browns are going to do long-term, but I'm confident here today that I say Joe Burrow can be the Bengals quarterback for the next 10 years. We talk about Kyler being the quarterback for the next 10 years for the Cardinals. We should talk about Joe Burrow being the quarterback for the next 10 years for the Bengals, their Boomer Esiason, I'll give you. Ohio kid. It worked. I remember going back to draft day and everyone's like, ah, don't go with the Bengals. They'll ruin your career. Well, Joe, they went in there. They listened to him. He, he said, hey, I want Jamar Chase. They drafted Jamar Chase. And guess what? Jamar Chase, the last time he faced the Ravens, put up over 200 yards against them. That Ravens defense was a lot better than the Ravens defense that we have here in week 16. That is why I think the Bengals are going to win this game. I think the Bengals are just going to be more dynamic offensively. I know Joe Mixon picked up an injury throughout the week. We'll see his status as he goes into game day, but even if he's not back, they have a solid back there with Samaje Ryan, Chris Evans, they've been able to get production out of. So they're still going to be able to run the ball and certainly they're going to have no problem passing the ball against the Ravens. And if it is Huntley, backup quarterbacks, they tend to get worse as they play more games. Niners fans too can relate with Nick Mullins. Speaking of Nick Mullins being back in the NFL, the more backup quarterback plays, the worse they get. Tyler Huntley, the best thing that could happen in his career is Lamar Jackson is back this week and he could capitalize on a big contract in the offseason and not have to play this make or break game for the division. I'm on the Bengals. You're on the Bengals. Pretty aligned so far, I guess, aside from our Monday night game, you know, the Tuanon versus the Illumisantes. But <laughs> the Illumisanti, I, I kind of want to hang on to that a little bit more. Yeah. I'm going to reverse course on this You're one. In the spirit course, of intrigue, I'm going to take the Baltimore Ravens to win against the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to take a cojones pick this week. Breaking news. Cojones pick of the week. Yes, we are dropping our tremendo cojones on the table. I don't know why I said that. That sounds weird, but my, I am dropping the tremendo cojones on this one. I am going to take the Baltimore Ravens, even if I think Tyler Huntley is going to go eight for 21 with two interceptions. Let's go, guys. Let's go. We're out for blood this week. Juju Talk Sports. 
Kyle Ledbetter, even though he's he's got a lead on me in the standings, and I'm not too happy about that one. But it, it's, it's a fun. pretty big lead now. I'm pretty sure. Trying I'm pretty to sure build I'm up, up to it's lot. like four or five games now at this point with uh you know three yeah, weeks no, to go I'm here. Like, I'm uh, not liking my chances there. Maybe I maybe I rebound in the playoffs. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I had good success in the baseball playoffs, so maybe that could carry over. We'll see. Maybe we do a little bit of curving the scales. Now we won't. we won't. We'll play we'll it straight see. up. Also, we're, we're, we're uh, men here. While we're talking about this game, if I had to give you either Buffalo or Indianapolis playing a playoff game on the road at Cincinnati, they'd probably be favored. And by how many points do you think they'd be favored by? Buffalo or the Colts playing in Cincinnati? God, God damn. It couldn't be more than three and a half. It's probably closer to two and a half, honestly. I, I think that the Bengals, like I said, they've earned the respect they've gotten. They, they're sound defensively. They have playmakers on offense. They played a tough game against Denver. But I told you going into that game, I was like, Vic Fangio, Denver, you're playing in Denver. It's not going to be a game in which you just walk in. And as much as we think so lowly of the Broncos, you're not going to go in and kick their ass. Um, the one thing I guess I would be disappointed in the Bengals in is Teddy Bridgewater went out early in that game and they weren't able to do a little bit more. But either way, um, that that's a tight game, no matter who out of those opponents they face, because the Bengals are decent at stopping the run. So can they contain Jonathan Taylor? I'm not saying they're great at stopping the run, but they, they could do a good job on Jonathan and Taylor as much as a good job as anyone could do against the Bills they if they get Trey Hendrickson back against that Bills offensive line I I think that that's their opportunity really feast and two we'll see this more again we haven't really gotten to see this get tested out too much Tredavious White not being there is still an impacting thing for that Bills defense long term and you're going against a top five wide receiving core in the Cincinnati Bengals I feel very confident saying they're a top five wide receiving core well I see a chance to lead in and transition when I see one as a podcast host myself. So let's transition into the Buffalo Bills versus the New England Patriots here in week 16 with huge stakes, by the way, if the Buffalo Bills win, the Buffalo Bills have the same record as the New England Patriots. But if the Patriots win, the Patriots clinch the AFC East title. I see you, Kyle. Taking my shine, taking my transition, taking my lead in, but it's respect. We're mutual colleagues here. We are podcasters in arms. Game, game respect game. game certified deal to hashtag bust the slump let's move into like you mentioned that those buffalo bills versus the patriots one guarantee i can make mac jones will 100 throw more than three passes in this game i can with 100 certainty say that one thing i found funny that i had in my notes going into this one obviously the bills they had a break off off a two-game losing streak after facing both brady and then belichick in consecutive weeks they go against cam newton beat Cam Newton because at this point Cam Newton is just a shell of the player that he once was but I find it hilarious that in the last 20 years the Bills only have a handful of wins against the Patriots and two of them came against Cam Newton so it's a little bit of poetic like imagery to think about of course they would get right against Cam Newton that's the only way they could beat the Patriots last year with Cam Newton under center they have to rebound the following week in this Patriots sandwich that we have here almost Patriots Bucks Cam Newton Patriots again they have have to bounce back against the Patriots to ensure that they don't get swept. They need to not get swept by the Patriots. I think more than this division, I, I think this, you, you always talk about like, talk about the macro level of things, talking about the bigger picture. I don't think the Bills mentally, their fan base mentally can deal with the year you were supposed to be good, the year the division was supposed to be yours. The Patriots sweep you 
and win the division from you, that's going to leave a sour taste in your mouth all off season. That's going to be the type of things that you're thinking about going into next season of what changes, how do we get better? What moves do we make? Because the Patriots, aside from one gap year, which is essentially what it is, just a gap year, own you. We talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Bears. They own you at this point. This is legitimately like walking into daddy's house here when you head into Foxborough for the Buffalo Bills. So can they get right? One one big storyline I mentioned last time these played, Josh Allen has not looked good against the Patriots. Yes, there was, of course, the insane weather. So it's almost like you want to throw out his stats against them the last time they played. But only a seven to six touchdown interception ratio, a quarterback rating of 77 in the previous games. Bill has done a good job on Josh. Josh is still a young quarterback. Obviously, we still have a young quarterback in Mac Jones. And Mac had two killer interceptions for them against the Colts that I'm sure that he got reamed in practice over this entire week. I'm sure Bill did not let that one go. And at this point in the season, one thing that Bill does say is a popular phrase of his, there are no rookies in December. So can Mac Jones mentally put Saturday's performance behind him and in a game in which he's obviously going to have to be more of a contributor, contribute? Uh, A notable thing, too, for the Bills, just to throw in here, Cole Beasley is unvaccinated. So obviously, now that he has the virus, he will be out the next 10 days which will mean he will be out this game, meaning more work for Gabriel Davis and Stefan Diggs. All right. What are your thoughts on this one? So one of the things that I find interesting coming into this, similarly to last time, is Buffalo and the Patriots are very evenly matched teams. I feel like both of those teams are around similar skill sets, and it's why it's fun when they play twice a year, because it makes the matchups more interesting. This one I'm going to give to the New England Patriots, which might just be because they're playing at home. I don't know if Damian Harris is going to play or not, or what the situation is there, but I do like the chances for the New England Patriots to win this game, similarly to how I thought Buffalo had a chance to win uh, at home against the Patriots. But what's interesting is, like you said, with Cole Beasley being out, potentially Damian Harris being out for the Patriots, how do they work Mac Jones into that offense? Because I think Buffalo is about as good as the Colts, but it's hard because the Colts have been really hot recently. So Buffalo is a really good team and the Patriots obviously just lost to the Colts. So it's not like the Patriots are totally unbeatable like when they were on that massive win streak. I think Buffalo is going to lose this game, but they're going to do it in a way that still keeps us interested in Buffalo going forward because Buffalo really misses Tredavious White. They really have struggled to rush the pass since the start of the season where they were like, we have seven pass rushers and we're going to dominate you up front. And it hasn't quite been as nice as they wanted it to. I think Buffalo going up against the Patriots offense doesn't again have too much to worry about because the Patriots are going to run the ball similarly to how it went last time. Patriots have a low upside offense, even though they put up like 50 points against the Jets a few weeks ago. Uh, So I do like the New England Patriots in this game, but only because the same reasons as last time, which version of Josh Allen is going to show up for the Buffalo Bills? Because if Josh Allen has one of these crazy games against a really good Patriots defense, yeah, probably changes the math a little bit. The reason the Colts beat the Patriots last week was not because Jonathan Taylor was amazing at running the football, although he was against a very good Patriots defense. It's because Mac Jones threw 
threw two interceptions. They had a blocked punt in the game. And that was a weird result that ended up working in favor of Indianapolis. So I like the Patriots to win this game. I like the Patriots to lock up the AFC East. They'll probably be the two seed in the AFC, looking at how things are kind of playing out right now in the tiebreakers and such. Because I think the Chiefs might win out the rest of the season and the Patriots might as well, which I think means the tiebreaker goes to the Chiefs. If you take the Titans out of the picture, uh, it's it's hard to figure out. But I do like the New England Patriots to win this week, and it's going to be really, really fun to watch. That's the thing I'll say also. This game, regardless of how the result goes, is going to be really fascinating, just like the first Bills and Patriots game. You talk about these teams being very, very similar. You talk about two of the best defenses in the league, where the Patriots allow 16 points a game, a little more over 16 points a game. The Bills only allow a little bit over 17 points a game. When you talk about total yardage, the Bills allow the league's best yardage against in the league, whereas the Patriots are third in that category. I guess if you were to say X factor, it is just Josh Allen. It's just Josh Allen at the end of the day, because you mentioned that the Patriots are a low upside offense, while the Bills are a one-dimensional offense. The Bills live and die with Josh. Devin Singletary, his 85 yards against the Carolina Panthers, that was a season high. That was a season high for basically their starting running back at the position. One thing I, I found shocking, the Panthers are a top two defense. I use that loosely. Top two defense in the league. You'll say the Bills came off a performance of putting up 30 points against them, but you know, the the Panthers are a little bit more fraudulent in yeah, my mind in terms of like how their defense is weighed versus the Patriots. The Patriots are a sound fundamental defense that consistently week to week is not going to make blown assignments. They're not going to make the dumb play. Josh Allen, if you make the dumb play in this game, that's how you're going to lose. Escape the pocket, roll around, run back 30 yards, 40 yards, and just try and chuck it. That's how you lose this game. It's the same thing that happened the last time they played, which was Josh Allen completed like 50 something percent of his passes and they only scored 10 points in the snow and the cold. And if he completes maybe two or three more passes, they win the game. If Tyler Bass makes one of those kicks, they win that game. They can get by even with Josh Allen doing some of the bad stuff. It's just, is Josh Allen going to have not a game that takes them out of it? If Josh Allen takes them, same thing we talked about with the, the Browns and Packers game, which is I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to turn the ball all over a lot but at the same time if he does the Browns have a chance if Josh Allen turns the ball over a lot they're gonna lose the game pretty bad because like you said they are a totally one-dimensional offense same thing as the Cleveland Browns Cleveland Browns no respect for the passing game and they're going up against one of the best passing defenses in the NFL on the flip side the Patriots are one of the best rushing defenses in the NFL even if they didn't do so hot against Jonathan Taylor like no shame in that on their part like the Patriots are really really good at stopping the run and the Bills have no rushing attacks. So totally one-dimensional offense. Belichick is going to dare them to do it. Maybe Belichick takes away Stefan Diggs as like, we're just going to put an entire emphasis on take away Diggs, dare you to win with Gabriel Davis. That might actually be the strategy now that I say it out loud. And maybe the do your job Patriots will be able to execute on that and get a much needed division title against the Buffalo Bills. And aside from this game, again, just mentioning Tredavious White alone, we still have not seen enough teams be able to challenge that, to really push that envelope. Because we saw the three pass attempt day by Mac Jones. They go against the Bucs and the Bucs were able to exploit a little bit more. But then you go against Cam and the Panthers offense. So what can we really tell from that? I think if we see close to 20 passing attempts by Mac Jones, you'll see a lot of go to where Tredavious White used to be in the Bills defense. And I I think that that's going to be a big difference from the last time they played. The 
obviously we're not gonna have 50 mile per hour winds just gusting everywhere though you know if i look at that injury report real quick because i this is important for analysis let's see what the weather is weather is in foxborough yeah it's it's important to check this out because new england patriots are going to try and use the weather as an advantage against the buffalo bills it is looking like like it is going to be 30 degrees fun with a 40 percent chance of looks like snowfall so ah, classic wonderful. foxborough game maybe we will We're see only three passing attempts. all right maybe i'm wrong I, i'm pretty confident they will throw four times in a ball game mac jones is gonna have to wear his full scuba suit again like he did against the bills which is still one of the greatest things i've heard is that he wore a full ass scuba outfit underneath his jersey remember mac this is year one of a hopefully long nfl tenure that you signed up for and a long NFL career perhaps with the Patriots so they're acclimate they're not invest too much in that Miami residence or that Hawaii residence you got to get or if you want to just wait four years I assume by then the Jaguars quarterback opening will be available so you can uh you can go down there and uh enjoy the sun of Florida and that's both an indictment on Mac as much as it's an indictment on Trevor Lawrence Yep, I did that on purpose. Did that for the joke on purpose because Mac Jones is from Jacksonville. And uh, for people who don't know, he has been seen wearing Blake Bortles jerseys out just in the just while hanging out in New England in Boston. Like he just wears Blake Bortles jerseys around. I'm sure that there is some Patriots fans that might cheer for Blake Bortles. They have some positive memories of seeing him on the field. Of Blake Bortles being eight minutes away from beating the Patriots and going to the Super Bowl. Yep. Yeah. And then just pissing it all away. Yeah, not really quickly, too. They're like, I think, 11 and 44 since that game. Like, it's been crazy how bad they've been since then. Hey, you're going against Tommy. Against Tommy Terrific. Show some respect. Yeah, there's some respect. That's a little on bit that. more. That was a little bit more Brooklyn-ish. See the variations between Brooklyn, Boston. I always find that so fascinating. Tom Brady. That's how you say it. Tom Brady. Isn't the main thing? I, I think I heard you just kind of like yeah, get rid of R's. Yeah, get rid of the Oz. Oz or ah ah, like Mark Wahlberg. Ah, I really love that Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart. Yeah, Smart is a good way to go about it. Marcus Smart. He's wicked good. He wicked good. Wicked good. Marcus Smart. Just, yeah, just listen to Bill Burr talk some more. You'll get it. Yeah. Hang around Southie for a little bit, right? Talk about yeah. apples. Watch watch Ted again and listen to Mark Wahlberg talk. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just thinking about the Ted scene where he's talking about, like, dating Boston women. Ada. Ada. <laughs> Put that image in your head if you're just listening in your car. Imagine you're just blasting this on your speakers. You're just kind of around the house, out of context. What is that? Mark, we're just talking about Mark Wahlberg, of course, and uh, the Buffalo Bills and also maybe Baker Mayfield. You know, sometimes when you're listening to podcasts out loud, I, I feel like it's like you almost can't like have someone watch anime out of context. You That's cannot fair. have someone walk in and you're watching anime and they just walk in out of context because how am I supposed to explain a demon fox or a plant monster or whatever it is? Yeah, I totally get it. I man totally just get screaming it. I, for his hair to turn blonde yeah sometimes i'll just drop random references in the middle of conversation that no one understands from podcasts just totally normal you know just mike tomlin saying splash over and over no reason i'll just be like splash ain't saying never but never 
Never. So that's my favorite Mike Tomlin quote right yeah, there. Yeah, of course. Never. <laughs> Never. Ah, that was kind of orgeron a little bit. That was a little too much Orgeron in my Mike Tomlin. I don't think we even got that in a recording. Yeah, we were talking before this one, just some Ed Ogeron. Stay tuned for that impersonation one day, folks. Yeah. Go Why Tigers. were we talking about Orgeron? Oh, yeah, because Juju misspelled Merry Christmas. It was like, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ed Orgeron says Christmas. He wishes you a happy Christmas. So our most absence basically dependent on you willing to say a letter or not. Pretty much, yeah. I think that that's kind of how accents work here. And then... Yeah. This is very a linguistic podcast. Let me yeah. see if I got better on it. Tua Tunga by Loa. Oh, that's right. We have to sing the Miami Dolphins fight song here DJ before we get out. Uyungalale. Yes. Uyungalale. Uyungalale. All right. Uyungalale. So here's how it goes, real quick. I'll get it for you, real quick. All right. Miami this is how we're closing the, the show, guys. The greatest football team. The greatest they run the ball team. from goal, ball, to goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air. We're on the ground. We're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. We're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Something like that. That's how it goes. Or we can do the T-Pain remix of it, which is a little bit funnier than that. Or we could just say, shout out to Tuanon. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. Juju Tag Sports got a lead better. We will see you next time.